So yeah, today preaching a, a part two of just a two two part series that we did part one a couple weeks ago. Um, preached a message on that day, really just taking a break from Luke for a few weeks as we've had guest speaker. We're going to have another one next week, and then I'm preaching a couple different messages. Uh, really just a two-part series called The Heartbeat of Our Church. The first one I preached two weeks ago was called Why 116? You know, why do we have the name 116? You guys remember that? That uh, we just talked about that verse, uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, really where we got the name of our church. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also to the Greek. And he said in it, verse 17, that the the righteousness of God is revealed. So that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. That, that first of all, <clears throat> we're not ashamed of the gospel, right? We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, right? For someone to love us so much to do what Christ did, how can we be ashamed of Him? Now, I'm not saying you and I are never ashamed of Him, but we shouldn't be. We should be ashamed of being ashamed of Jesus Christ. He's so worthy. Um, we, we talked about how we... In that verse in Romans 1.16, we trust in the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know, we, we hold to a, what you would call a reformed soteriology. A, a reformed view of salvation. In other words, guys, it's God that saves. Amen? Amen. We're dead in our sins. Sinners are dead in their sins. And so the, the Bible makes it clear that it's through the gospel that men are saved. And no other way. So we must proclaim it. And then... We talked about it being the uh, in verse 17, it says that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. In other words, when you look at the gospel and what Jesus did on the cross, what He had to do on the cross to save us, it really exposes all false religions as being false. Right? When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He meant it. He meant it. The, the payment has been made. The sacrifice has been made one time. It says when Christ suffered one time for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So it's finished. We come to Him by faith. That's what the Gospel... The Gospel displays the righteousness of God because we need a perfect righteousness to be in that perfect kingdom. And it only comes through, through the Gospel, through the imputation of Christ's righteousness to our account. And then lastly in that message, we just looked at that it, that, that it says that the Gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe, Right? The Jew first and also to those dirty Gentiles like you and I. Amen. The gospel has come. And it's salvation for all who will believe. All who will call upon His name. And then, so that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And, that, and that's really where the name of our church came from. Hey, Wesley. How you doing, brother? That's uh, okay, brother. Glad you're here. Um, so that's, so that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's where the name of the church came from. And so if you haven't heard that message, you want to go back and listen to it. Obviously, there's more to it than what I just said. And so that brings us to, to really the second, the second sermon in this two-part series, The Heartbeat of Our Church, part two. This is called The Main Thing. You hear me say, you hear me talk about the main thing a lot. And so today you'll understand what I'm talking about. I think most of you guys are aware of that. So this message... I preached this message almost a year ago in Kansas at the little conference we went to up at Dexter's. Uh, some of you know Dexter. I think most of you don't, but uh, maybe someday we'll have him down. But a uh, good brother. And so I preached this message, and then really by God's providence, where I got to meet Don Curran, uh, who's with Heart Cry, and he has a church in Alabama. And so he invited us to come down 
to preach that. So we got to preach it in Alabama. And so I've always told my wife that I want to preach this to our home church sometime. And um, so that's, that's what we decided to do. But yeah, the main thing, the main thing, you know, in, in Matthew one twenty one, uh, because because we looked at that in Romans one sixteen and seventeen that he will he will save his people through the gospel, right? Both Jew and Greek. Matter of fact, there's a promise in Matthew one twenty one that you hear me reference a lot. The angel told Joseph when Jesus was born, you shall give him the name of Jesus. Why? For He will save His people from their sins. Do you hear the promise in that? Does He say that He might? No, He says He will. He will save His people from their sins. So you'll call His name, call his name Jesus. Turn to Romans chapter 10, guys. Today's going to be very different. Obviously, I'm not preaching through a text. Uh, but I, I want to look at Romans chapter 10 real quickly. It's really in our introduction. So we'll have this in our mind. Romans 10, 13-17. I'm just going to read it. Note a couple things. This, really, this section of Scripture really you could call an apologetic of evangelism, of missions, a defense of why we do what we do. So it says in verse 13, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, verse 14, will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Right? How will they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? That's pretty simple logic, isn't it? <laughs> verse, verse 15, How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And then verse 17, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Beloved, He will save His people from their sins, but how will He do it? Through the Gospel. Through somebody proclaiming the message. Obviously, it can come through the written Word as well. But the message has to be communicated. That's how God saves His people. That's how He accomplishes that promise. So that's going to play into everything we talk about today. How will they hear without a preacher? Right? Simplicity. That's what I like. Simplicity. So we're talking about the main thing today. Some of the things that are not the main thing, okay? Really, that's where we, we, we thought of this phrase, the main thing, why it's so important to remember the main thing. Did you know that how you dress at church is not the main thing? How do we want to dress at church? We want to be, we want to be decent, right? Cover yourself. <laughs> I, remember, I remember a guy, several years ago, I was on my lunch break at Sonic on Choctaw Road, 940, grabbing me something to eat real quick. And I handed this guy a track was sitting there. I had a few minutes, and, and so we got in a conversation. This guy was a believer. Man, we had a great conversation, five to ten minutes. And man, it was just going good. It was like, yeah, talking about Jesus Christ. And then the question came. He goes, what do you wear at your church? And this is when we were going to a different church. He goes, what do you wear? And I was just like, you know, just try to dress decent. You know, some people wear a suit and tie. Some people just wear jeans and and the whole, the whole conversation shifted. It went from Jesus Christ, that was kind of, he kind of got that out of the way. Now he was talking about the main thing in his eyes. Oh man, you need to be wearing a suit and tie. We don't let people even come to our church. And I just thought, how ridiculous. That's not the main thing, guys. <laughs> Dress decently. If you want to wear a tie, wear a tie. I don't, because I never have. 
going to wear a suit, wear a suit. But we want to dress modestly and decently, okay? It's not the main thing. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. What English Bible do you use, you know? I have a feeling this same guy probably would have been KJV only. But, but again, I have no problem with the KJV or the new King James or the ESV or the NAS. Those are some of my favorites. But that, we're not going to make, we're going to make contention about that stuff. It's not the main thing. Or how about our worship service, you know? Why do we do the things we do in here? We try to do the things we do in here to make it biblical. Why, do we read, why did Justin read Scripture? Why do we do that? Because Paul tells Timothy, the public reading of Scripture, that's why we do it. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. And these type of things, you know, obviously the Word is preached, we sing to the Lord. But we can even, you know, some people, man, if you don't have it exactly in the order and exactly the way they say, man, you're just... Your church is not even biblical. These things are important. All these things I'm mentioning are they have their place, but they're not the main thing. You know, as far as the as far as the service go, you know, what type of music are you singing? Are you hymns only? Are you psalms only with no instruments? Well, we like this and we prefer this. And again, these are things we can discuss, but it's not the main thing. Do you do you, do you use only wine or grape juice when you take the Lord's Supper? Guys, there are people that will argue about these things for hours on Facebook. I wonder how much time they're investing in the main thing. These are not the main thing. Myriads of other things. You can go on and on and on. I'll see people with a Facebook thread of 300 comments on wine or grape juice. It's just like, okay, if you have certain convictions about these things, that's fine. But we're not going to make those things the main thing. I've seen it. I've been involved in it. And to be honest with you, I detest it. They are important, but they're not the main thing. What is the main thing? The verse we're bouncing off today, it's on the front of your bulletin. It's the verse that we had at Rocky's celebration of his life. It's the verse that me and Rocky shared together. It's the verse I know Pastor Chuck loves. It is the main thing. 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Beloved, if that was not true, it wouldn't matter about all this. None of this other stuff would even matter. We would be on death row awaiting execution if if the truth of that Scripture was not true. Think of that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who is Christ? Christ is the Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. He is the Anointed One. He is the King that was promised in Genesis 3.15, that He would come. You can trace Him throughout the Old Testament that one would come to crush the serpent's head. And that's who came. Praise God that He came. That's worth getting excited about. That is the main thing. Christ, who? Jesus is His name. Because He's a Savior. He will save, right? Has He saved you? He, that means he, he delivers us from the kingdom of darkness. He rescues us from an eternal hell. Christ Jesus came into the world. Not into existence, right? When He was born 2,000 years ago, Christ came into the world that He created and put on human flesh. Born of a virgin. He came into the world full of who? Good, righteous people? No, He came into the world full of sinners. He came into a world of filled with people who hated Him, who hates the light, 
who rebels against the light, who wants nothing to do with the light. Even his own, the nation of Israel, says, did not receive him. But praise be to God, says, for those who do receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Not by the flesh, not by blood. It's not by your bloodline. The Hebrew Israelites, sorry. You don't come into the kingdom because of who your father is. Or by the will of the flesh. Or even by a decision we make. But by being born of God. That's how we come into the kingdom. And it's all because of Christ. It's all because that He came into the world to save sinners. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That is the main thing. I would challenge anybody. I would challenge anybody to come up with another main thing in the Bible <laughs> than Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. That death came into the world, that God promised a Messiah who would save His people from their sins, and He came. And, and as Justin just read, read to us in Acts, He ascended, and one day He's coming back. Amen. One day He's coming back. That can be another thing. Okay, I can promise you, there's different views of eschatology in this room. Meaning exactly how it's going to be at the end. We all agree that Christ is coming. He's going to gather His own. He's going to judge the wicked. And He's going to reign forever. He, he, he will conquer all His enemies. But there's a reason. There's a few different views that brilliant, godly theologians have debated throughout the ages. See, so that's not the main thing. To argue about how all the details are going to be worked out. You'll find a Facebook thread on that. Just look on Facebook today. You'll find one. But how about putting the go, right? Back in go therefore. With that passion and taking the gospel to the lost. Let me say this, beloved. Open air preaching is not the main thing. Okay, why do I say that? Because I'm going to be talking about open air preaching today. Because I want to talk to you about it today. It's not the main thing though. Okay? Because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I say this over and over. Because I don't ever want to be misunderstood. Well, if you're in this church, you need to be open air preaching. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. Ladies, please no. <laughs> no, open air preaching is not the main thing. The Great Commission is the main thing. That Christ came and that He's given us all as Christians a command to preach the gospel and make disciples. Now, that's done in many, many different ways. Um, but open-air preaching, is, it's under that main thing. And so I'm going to talk to you about open-air preaching today. But it applies to everybody. You'll see many of these principles apply to everybody. I hope you're encouraged today. Because when I originally preached this, it was more the context was discussing open-air preaching. But it applies to all of us as Christians. I'll tell you another thing that's not the main thing. Abortion ministry is not the main thing. Whenever the abortion clinics were open here, we went to them. And we pleaded with these mothers not to murder their children. Because we love life. Because we love Christ. We preach the gospel to them. Again, that falls under the main thing. Which is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But we could go on and on about what's not the main thing. Let's talk about the main thing. So as we consider, as we consider our text today, 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as we consider what we looked at last time, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We're going to talk about open air preaching. We're going to talk about, because I want you guys to be familiar with why do we do what we do? Okay? Why, why do we do what we do as a, as a church, as a, as, a, as a fellowship of churches? You see us practicing this. Are we, are we out of line? Because it's not real popular. And so, 
We're going to look at some. We're going to look at some Old Testament history, real briefly. Some New Testament history and church history of how God has used open air preaching. Because I want you to be confident that what we practice as a church, when I say we, I don't mean everybody here, but I mean the pastors of 116, and for whoever else wants to join with us, really just taking the gospel to the world. That's what we're looking at. How has God used it? And I want, and I want this message to be an encouragement to all of you in your daily lives. Because you have been given a command from your Lord to open your mouth and tell people, about His Son, Jesus Christ. That is not up for debate. And so we've all been given that. So let's look at this. We're going to start with Old Testament history of open-air preaching. In other words, the first two points, it's on the back of your bulletin. We're really just looking at what the Bible says about it. How has God used it? And how can we apply these things to our lives, no matter who we are? Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to let him speak to us about the Old Testament history. He says this, now it can be argued with small fear of refutation that open-air preaching is as old as preaching itself. We are at full liberty, he says, to believe that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, when he prophesied, asked for no better pulpit than the hillside. And that Noah, as a preacher of righteousness, was willing to reason with his contemporaries in the shipyard wherein His marvelous ark was built. Beloved, you're going to hear me say this many times in this, in this sermon. You and I are not responsible for the conversion of anybody. Do you understand that? We can't save anybody. You can't cause somebody to be born again. But what you and I are responsible for is to simply be faithful. That's it. If you can just take that from this message, we are to be faithful. That's what we're to be. And what a picture of faithfulness was Noah. He preached for 120 years, warning his world that a flood was coming, that judgment was coming. These people had never even seen rain. You think these people think we're nuts. They thought he was nuts. But he was faithful. He was a faithful preacher of righteousness. He, said, he goes on to say, certainly Moses and Joshua found their most convenient place for addressing vast assemblies beneath, beneath the unpillared arch of heaven. Outdoor preaching is what he's talking about, guys. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel and challenged the indecisive nation. How long shall you be between two opinions? You know what Elijah's nickname was? The Troubler of Israel. I forget what, what, which, which king it was that called him that, but he said, oh, there's the troubler of Israel. Did you know, guys, that if you're, if you're going to be faithful for Jesus Christ, no matter who you are, if you're going to be a faithful witness for Christ, you may not hear those words, but trust me, you will be thought, oh, there's that troublemaker. You're going to be thought of as a troublemaker. But in order to be faithful, beloved, we must be willing to just accept it. Because you are a troublemaker for righteousness sake. When you take, the, you take the light of the gospel into this dark world that hates it, there will always be pushback. But he challenged the indecisive nation, right? You're going you're gonna to worship Baal? You're going to worship Yahweh. Jonah, whose spirit was somewhat similar, lifted up his cry of warning, where? In the streets of Nineveh. In the streets of Nineveh. No, uh, Jonah was an outdoor preacher. Jonah didn't... Jonah didn't you know, huddle up in some little 
building with the, with, with the people of, of Nineveh. And they said, oh, come on here, Jonah. We want to hear what you have to say. That's not how it was. Now he walked the streets of Nineveh and all her places of concourse. And he gave forth the warning utterance, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Many times, beloved. Of course, he's talking about preaching in the outdoors, but evangelism in general. We have to communicate a message that people don't want to hear. But it's part of the message. It's part of the message. To hear Ezra and Nehemiah, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Spurgeon says, indeed, we find examples of open-air preaching everywhere around us in the records of the Old Testament. It's, it's so much everywhere that, it's, that it's, <laughs> it should be obvious to us. It's kind of like when God first opens your eyes to the sovereignty of God, and then you see it, it's on every page of the Bible that God is sovereign, that He chooses, that He, he does these things. And it's really the same with this. It's everywhere. All these men, they, did, they preached the Word of God wherever they went. And then I want to add one to the one that Spurgeon didn't mention, the prophet Jeremiah. He preached for 40 years to the southern kingdom of Judah without any visible results. Faithfulness. Beloved, that's, that's all you and I are called to. When you stand before your Lord on that day, you're not going to be judged by how many people were converted under your ministry. But you will be judged at simply how faithful you are. And myself as well. Were you faithful with what I gave you? Were you faithful to communicate to those people that I put in your life what my son did? He was known as the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. Beloved, do you ever weep? Do you ever weep for souls? And I ask myself that too. Do we ever weep for souls? Do you ever weep in your prayer closet? Weep for your loved ones? Spurgeon or, or Whitfield said, you know, if they can't see visible tears in your face, let them hear tears in your voice. That, that, that these people know that you, that you care. Maybe they don't agree with your message. But they think, man, he loves the God he serves and he, and he cares for me. That should, be, that should be our approach. He was the weeping prophet because he loved his people. And beloved, this is another really a theme of this message. Not only you and I need to be faithful, but as Jeremiah and all these other men, he was not an invited guest to speak to the nation. Okay? Everywhere we go and stand and preach, we're not invited. Most of the time you sit down, you have somebody on your heart that you want to share the gospel with, you're not invited. But you know the message is that important. Jeremiah was faithful to the call and to the message. And that's what you and I need to be. We need to be faithful. He would even stand out, and you can see this in Jeremiah chapter 7. He was even found standing outside the gates of the temple and warning the people of their idolatry. He wasn't an invited guest, but God told him to go stand and speak. So what about the New Testament? Real briefly, New Testament history. Obviously, we think of um, Christ's forerunner, John the Baptist. 
lifting up his voice along the riverside. You know, I think some of the best compliments I've ever received, as, and it, hadn't, it has not been many times, but there's been a few times over the years where people said, man, you remind me of John the Baptist out here. John the Baptist is my hero, minus the diet. I could do without that. But John the Baptist, God says, the greatest man ever to live is because of the message he had. Ushering in the Son of God. He had the greatest ministry. What was his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ Himself, we pre- He preached many times in the synagogues. We've already seen that in Luke. He went around the different synagogues preaching in the different towns. But He also preached on the mountainside. Seems like there's a sermon somewhere. Sermon on the mount. But He preached on the mountainside. He preached along the seashore. He preached in the streets. Outdoor preaching. Where did I hear this, guys? Unchain the Gospel from the pulpit. Unchain the Gospel from the pulpit, right? Didn't a brother remind us of that? That's what all this is. And guess what? Jesus Christ trained His apostles to do the exact same thing. He trained preachers. The men who followed Him were preachers. And He didn't train just to go preach where it's safe. Just go preach where everybody loves you. Everybody's going to applaud you. Have you read what happened to them? He trained these men to preach everywhere. Paul preached in the synagogues to the Jews, but also in the marketplaces and other areas. Which, what happened to Paul many times when he preached? It would cause riots. What's interesting, when you think about the apostles, nowhere in Scripture does, do you see the early church, right? like meaning the, early, the true church, not the religious leaders, but the true church of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in Scripture do, do you see the early church telling the apostles, guys, you're doing it all wrong. You're stirring up the people. Stop it. This is not, you're going to push them away. You don't see that. What drove Paul and the apostles to do what they did? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.11, he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. When you understand the terror of the Lord, and if you're a Christian, you understand the terror of the Lord because, because God showed you what you deserve in some fashion when He saved you. At some point, the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to, to where you realized the depths of your sin. That I am tainted with sin and I am a wretched sinner in the eyes of God and I deserve to be thrown into hell. That's the language the Bible puts it. It says the angels of God assist in throwing sinners into hell. That's the terror of the Lord, what our sin deserves from a holy God. He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, be reconciled to God. Before Paul's conversion... When he was known as Saul of Tarsus in Acts 8.4, after he had had Stephen stoned and a great persecution broke out, it says they, the disciples, went about preaching. They went about preaching. They went everywhere. Persecution just... They didn't go hide. They went about. And as they were going, they were preaching the Word of God. That word preach, it means to proclaim or to announce... Good tidings. They went about preaching the good news. 
of the resurrected Christ. They went about preaching the word. And beloved, again, these were not places they had been invited. They weren't invited. We must be intentional and go there for What drove them? Love for God and love for neighbor. The two greatest commandments. They loved their God and they loved their neighbor who was perishing. So they went. And they spoke. What about church history? During the dark or or the middle ages, roughly from the 5th to the 16th centuries, okay? Although the church in large part was, you could say, you could say in decline, just that the Roman Catholic Church had become so apostate. But guess what? God, some of God's best preachers during that time were open air preachers. You realize that? Even during that time, a man by the name of Arnold of Brescia in the 12th century, he would stand at the gates, the very gates of the Vatican, and he would denounce their Antichrist doctrine. That Antichrist doctrine that we talked about earlier. When, when Christ said upon the cross, to tell us die, it is finished, right? It's finished. The debt has been paid in full. And the Roman Catholic Church and others, they come along and they say, no, it's not. You need to keep your sacraments. You know what? And even if you, uh, even if you die, you can go to a place called purgatory and you can suffer there for a while, not for your own sin, not only for your own sins, but the sins of others. They had all these works. But he would preach against these false teachings. Much like Jeremiah would stand before the temple, this man Arnold of Bersia would stand before the Vatican and preach the truth of the gospel. And guess what happened to him for his faithfulness? Was he applauded? No, he was hung for treason. But guess what? He was faithful. He was faithful to his Lord for preaching against the religion of the state of the time, at that time. What's the religion of our state primarily? I would say it's probably LGBTQ, right? (laughs) That's becoming the religion of our state. But does that mean we keep silent? No. We preach the Word of God. More and more so, you're going to see preachers getting in trouble in our nation for preaching against the religion of the state. It's always been that way. The false religions may change. But the offense of the gospel does not change. We're, we're to go and we're to stand and we're to speak and we're to leave the consequences to God. He was faithful to his Lord. Was he an invited guest? No, he was not an invited guest. You know, when we go, when we go and we knock on doors over here across the street in the neighborhood, do you think that the neighbors call and say, hey, are you the pastor of 116 Bible Church? Will you come speak to me Saturday morning and knock on my door about 10 o'clock? I don't think so. Most of the time, they don't even answer. But that's why we leave them a flyer with the gospel in it. Because the power of the gospel, right? Salvation comes to the power of the gospel. God may save a sinner who we never see. Like, like the story I told you guys, he may, somebody may be fixing to hang themselves and hear us leave something at the front door, read it, and God will save them. But we're not invited guests. You have to be intentional, beloved. Love compels us to go. Love for God, love for neighbor. Love for God, love for neighbor. Beloved, be faithful to the call. Okay, We must persevere. To be faithful to the end requires perseverance. I'm not talking about our salvation. I'm just talking about our obedience. 
You must persevere. What, what's some things you need to persevere through to be faithful? You must persevere through rejection. You'll be rejected. Get over it. Get over yourself. We call it the fear of man. That's what the Bible calls it, but it's also pride. We need to get over ourselves. We need, to, we need to persevere through rejection. We need to persevere through being reviled. I'll mention that a little later. We need to, be, we need to persevere through being called a troublemaker. This is a tough one. You need to persevere through being misunderstood. You ever thought of that? You know, they, they, just, they don't even understand why I'm telling them these things. We don't share the gospel because we hate people. Share the gospel because you love them. We don't tell you that if you're a practicing homosexual, you're going to go to hell if you die because we hate you, but because we love you. Or a fornicator, or a thief, or a liar, or a slanderer, a sinner. You need to repent and come to Jesus Christ. I tell you that because I love you. We need to persevere through these things. We need to persevere through being told, you know what, you can't be here. Now I'm primarily talking about open air preaching. That's what we're being told again. The place I've been preaching for almost nine years on a weekly basis. All of a sudden, you can't be here. You can't stand here and preach. So we're fighting that with our attorney at the bus station. Why? Because souls are worth it. That's why. Many years ago, we fought for our rights to have amplification in Oklahoma City. We had it, then we lost it. Our, our, our wonderful attorney, brother in Christ, fought for us. He said, this is unconstitutional. We won. Took about two years, but we won. And there's many places in the city that it's just you're better off with an amp because there's a lot of noise. But how many thousands of people have heard the gospel because we, did, we fought that? Because a lady asked back then, why are we fighting this? And I was like scratching my head. Because I want people to hear the gospel, that's why. We're going to fight it. See, but we, we persevere through these things. And we understand Romans 1.16. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's what keeps us going. That's what keeps us going. I, because we know that these people got to hear, they have to hear the gospel. Back to Romans 10. How are they going to call on someone they don't believe? They've never heard. Guys, did you know right here in Oklahoma City, you'll talk to people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. You believe that? I talked to a guy probably a couple years ago, one night late at the club. Shiloh and I were talking to a guy. This guy had never heard of Adam. I took him back to the garden. He never heard of Adam and Eve. How are they going to hear without a preacher? The late 14th and to the middle of the 15th century, God used disciples of John Wycliffe, known as the Lollards, who went about in England in, pair, in, in, uh, in pairs preaching at fairs, marketplaces, wherever they could gain a hearing. Do you see a theme in this? These men went to where people were. There's some precious souls. Let's take the gospel to them. That's the heart of a biblical open-air preacher and I would say a biblical Christian who loves the lost. I want to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You may not be an open-air preacher. Most people aren't. That's not the point of this message. But I do want us to understand because there's a lot of pushback that this is biblical. It's historical. God blesses it. They went to where they could gain a hearing. Spurgeon said of these men that the common people, they heard them gladly. The common people heard these men gladly. 
That reminds me of the bus station. That's why it's so different than any other place I've ever preached. That's why you can set Bibles on the table. I literally lost track after about 1,500 Bibles. It's somewhere between 2,000 and 3,000 Bibles that people come and receive on their own there. Places where he's preaching last night over there, you're never going to give a Bible away. Maybe every now and then, if you have a long two-hour conversation with somebody, maybe they'll take a Bible. But you go over here where the common people, doesn't mean they're all Christians, but they're the common people and they'll sit and respect and listen to the Word of God. They'll sit there for an hour and then say, hey, can I have a Bible? Yes, praise the Lord. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. See, some of these men, they were banished from preaching in the churches, right? The churches didn't want to hear their, their gospel message. So they'd say, you're not welcome to preach here. So they go, okay, we'll go to where the people are. We'll go find the people. But it says they were unstoppable. These lollards, they were unstoppable in their determination to proclaim the Word of God to the people. Beloved, are you and I, can we say that? Are we unstoppable in our determination? Like regardless of what comes, you're not going to stop me from sharing the Gospel. Well, we'll arrest you. Then we'll share it in the jails. Well, you can't do it here. Okay, then we'll go over here. Well, maybe your family member tells you, I don't want to hear it anymore. Okay. We go to the highways and the byways and we seek people out who will listen. The proclamation of the, the proclamation of the gospel with these men was what was primary, not the place where it, where it was proclaimed. That was secondary. In other words, in relation to our message here, it didn't matter whether it was indoors or outdoors. What mattered was the people. Okay? The people. In the 16th century, at the time of the Reformation, stories of Lutheran preachers walking through the country, proclaiming the gospel of grace to crowds in the marketplaces, burial grounds, mountains, and in the meadows. Charles Spurgeon said, I would say Charles Spurgeon said, rightly said, he said, where would the Reformation have been if its great preachers had confined themselves to churches and cathedrals? You hear that? Spurgeon said, where would the Reformation have been if some of the finest preachers of the day had just stuck to preaching indoors? I would say the same thing now. Where are all these modern great preachers when there's a world dying and going to hell and these men have been called to what? To preach. To preach. Not every man is called to preach the gospel outdoors. But if you're called to preach, what would stop you from taking the gospel outdoors where people need it? Where sinners are gathered. Where sinners are gathered and going to hell by the multitudes. And you say, no, this fine gospel that I preach, I'm going to leave it chained to the pulpit. I can't preach if I don't have a roof over my head and four walls around me. I'm not gifted to do that. Beloved, I told, I told a guy that, a young preacher, who some of you would know, a few years ago, he, he, he's been to seminary, sharp guy. Josh's brother, Caleb. And he came out with us a few years ago. 
And he had never opened there to preach. And he wanted to. And he was nervous. And I just told him, I said, brother, I pat him on the shoulder. I said, and I, and I would never like force anybody to. I may, I may encourage guys, but he wanted to preach. And he was nervous. And I just put my hand on the shoulder. I said, brother, you're a preacher. I've heard you preach. You're a preacher. And he goes, yeah, I guess that's right. And he got there and preached. And no kidding, he got slapped in the face five minutes into his first open air. <laughs> but guess what? He handled it greatly. He was such a witness for it. The police came and arrested this lady. And they asked if he won the press charges. He said, no, I don't want to press charges. I just want her to know Christ. He kept preaching. Now, that's not a common thing. But I, but that's he, I told him because that's just what thought came to my mind. You're a preacher, preach the gospel that you can preach so well, and he did, and Christ was glorified. So I say that I have a stronger conviction about that than I used to. That if you're a man called to preach, why not preach? Doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that every pastor should be out there preaching on the streets every day. Most guys don't have time to do that. But to say no, I'm not called to that. I, I'm sorry, I don't see it in Scripture. Christ trained his men to preach. Indoors, outdoors, wherever. How would the common people have known? This is Spurgeon. He goes on. How would the common people have become informed of the gospel had it not been for those wandering evangelists and daring innovators, I love this, who found a pulpit on every heap of stones and an audience chamber in every open space near the abodes of men. I love that language. Being an open-air preacher, outdoor preacher, for nearly 15 years, I understand that language. They found a pulpit and every heap of stones. That's what led me to the bus station. I was delivering my FedEx truck back in about 2000, I don't know, 12, 13, 14. I'd already been preaching on the streets for a few years, several years. And, and I just drove by this place downtown. I didn't even know it was there. And that's, I was like, whoa, what a pulpit. Look at that sidewalk you could set up right there and there's just people everywhere. And eventually the Lord let us down there. That's why we fight for it, guys. That's why we fight for it. George Wishard of Scotland, who was a mentor of John Knox and a great reformer and open-air preacher, who was martyred, said this, Jesus Christ is as mighty to save in the fields as in the church. That's been my, that's been my argument for people who want to argue against what we're doing. I'm like... Do you believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Is it as strong? It, does, does, the, does, does geography make the gospel stronger? Do these walls make the gospel stronger? It makes no sense. Sinners need to hear the gospel, beloved. Preachers need to preach faithfully in the pulpits, but other places as well. And Christians in general, we need to take the message to our neighbors, to our family. We need to be faithful to what God has called every one of us to do. Make disciples. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. He goes on to say, he says, Jesus Christ is as mighty to save in the fields as in the church. And He Himself, while He lived in the flesh, preached more often in the desert and upon the seaside than in the temple of Jerusalem. And then of course, there were Puritans who preached in the open air in the 17th century. And in the 18th century, God used the outdoor preaching of George Whitfield and many others to bring the first great awakening to England and the North American colonies. Guys, and that's not up for debate. Those are historical facts, how God used these men. Other men that He used to bring revival to England in the 18th century were John Wesley, 
William Grimshaw, William Remain, Daniel Rowland, John Barrage, Henry Venn, Samuel Walker, James Harvey, Hal Harris, and John Fletcher. With most, okay, with most, if not all of these men practicing outdoor preaching at one point or another in their ministries. And that's my only point. I don't think every man should be out there preaching outdoors weekly like I do. That's what God called me to do many years ago. And Lord willing, I'm going to continue to do it. But I'm talking about the man who says, I've been called to preach, yes, but that's, that's, I'm not called to do that at all. I think there's something wrong with that. If you preach the Gospel, preach the Gospel. And these men, I read about these men, you can read about these men in, in a book of, by J.C. Ryle that he wrote in the 19th century called Christian Leaders of the Last Century. I have that book. It's fabulous. How God used these men and much of what they did, they preached the Gospel outdoors and God brought... He literally transformed England through these men and, and some others. Also in the 18th century, a man named Jonathan Goforth, a missionary, a Canadian missionary who went to China. Fascinating story that Rocky and Angela let me read, read that book about a year ago. I borrowed it and read it. It brought me to tears. His first converts came from open-air preaching. And in the 19th century, men like Charles Spurgeon himself was an outdoor preacher. They called Charles Spurgeon maybe him and Whitfield. Spurgeon would have called Whitfield <laughs> the greatest, but many men think those two men, Charles Spurgeon, they call him the Prince of Preachers. Maybe the greatest preacher since the Apostles. Did he confine his preaching to, to indoors? No. And he preached to big crowds inside, but he went to the streets of London and preached the Gospel. If Charles Spurgeon's not too good for it, how, they, how can these other men think that it's beneath them? I've heard people talk in those terms. Charles Spurgeon tells a story. <clears throat> this is not him preaching, but this is about a man in his church. He said this man was preaching in his church in the streets of London. He said it was a very dark and dreary day. Cold day, as you can picture it being that part of the world in the wintertime. He said most men would have said, this guy is wasting his time. He said there may have been a stray dog here and there, but there was nobody on the streets. But this man wanted to preach the Word of God. He was standing on the corner preaching the Word of God, and there was a lady up in her apartment who could hear him. Obviously, the lady had given her testimony. That's where he got the story. She was in her apartment, and, and he was pretty close by to her apartment, and, he, and she could hear him, and, and, and she hated the message. He, and he just kept preaching and kept preaching. She tried to stuff her ears, but she couldn't escape the, 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 the sound of his voice, and God converted her in her apartment through that man preaching. And Spurgeon tells that story. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing and he says, be faithful. I, I believe he taught that to his students in, in lectures to his students where I read that at his, at his Bible school. Gowan Kirkham, also in the 19th century in London at the same time, he helped lead an open-air mission in London. I read his biography. He's one of my heroes. He would preach at public executions of condemned criminals. You see, these men, they went to where the people were. Think about that setting, guys. He would preach at public executions of condemned criminals where tens of thousands of people would gather. He had a sermon illustration right there. It's been appointed for a man once to die, 
And after that, the judgment. Beloved, so obviously, it's biblical. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And God has used it and blessed it. And so, I want you to know that as far as our church, as far as our church fellowship, I want you to have that background information to understand why we practice it. Okay? We're not trying to be oddballs. We're trying to be biblical. I would say the people who don't do it are oddballs. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way at all. The people who fight against it. Is it biblical? Is it in the Scriptures? We can see it down through history. Some of God's finest men have loved the lost enough to simply take it, the message. They go, they stand, and they speak. Why not practice it? God hasn't changed, has He? Has God changed? God hasn't changed. But people say, but it's a different time. Yeah, that was for back then, but people don't want to hear it now. Do you think people wanted to hear it then? They didn't want to hear it then. Here's what's different about then and now, okay? Back then, it was a heap of stones was the pulpit. Now it's a sidewalk, okay? Back then, maybe in Gow and Kirkham's times, they went to a public execution. I'd love to go to the public execution, preach the gospel. Probably wouldn't get very far. Now it's a sporting event, right? Go stand outside a stadium where there's hundreds and thousands of people coming in and out. Back then it was a riverside or a mountain. Now it's a theater, in front of a theater, in front of a bus station, in front of the abortion clinics when they were open. Wherever where people gather. That's the only part that's different. Faith still comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ that will never change. Preach the Gospel to the people. Romans 16 is still true. It's still true. It will be true till God saves His last sheep. They will be saved by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation. 1 Peter 1.23 is still true. Peter says, for you have been born again. Right? We, we preach, you must be born again. We tell people, you must be born again. But what does Peter say? For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. People will be born again one way, through the Word of God. That's still true. So we need to get the Word of God to as many people as we can. That's a simple thing. It's a simple strategy. Preach the Gospel. That's how people will be saved. This is the main thing, beloved, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That will always be the main thing. We're called to be faithful. We're called to communicate the Gospel. And God will save His people. Beloved, whether that's relationship evangelism. Okay? You don't have to have a relationship to share the Gospel with somebody. But it's a great thing to share the Gospel with those who you have a relationship with. So whether it's with those you have a relationship with, whether it's those you barely know, whether it's through preaching in the pulpit, whether it's through having a Bible study at your house, witnessing to your neighbors, whatever the means, whether it's through outdoor preaching, we're to be faithful. Whether it's to simply, guys, simply. Spurgeon said it, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said that at least the, the, the simplest thing a person can do is hand out gospel tracts. 
Beloved, let me tell you a story about just being faithful. That's all we're called to be. How easy it is if we just deny ourselves and get over ourselves. So I would hand tracks out on my lunch break. Like when I, I'll go in a convenience store, get me something to drink. You know, I'm off the clock. And I'll be at the, I'll be at the fountain. May see some, uh, you know, a person next to me. Hey, man, how you doing? Good. Hey, can I give you something to read? Tell them it's a message about Jesus Christ. Most of the time they take it and say thank you. They're not going to like pull a machete out and chop your head off. They may say no. And so you just be friendly. But I remember one time this lady told me at 7-Eleven. I said, how are you doing, ma'am? And, and, and of course our tracks, you know, they said, are you ready on the front? And I offered her one of those. And she goes, you know what? She goes, I just came back from a funeral. And she said, I was asking myself in my mind that exact question. Am I ready? I said, well, read that when you get a chance. It'll tell you how you can be ready. Do you see the simplicity in that? You never know where somebody's at, guys. Did you guys know that God saved me through a gospel tract? 26 years ago, that's how God saved me. Maybe that's why I've always had a conviction. If He can save me, He can save others. George Whitfield was saved through reading a little booklet. God uses tracts. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God and salvation. See how simple it is? But speaking of faithful guys, a man by the name of Robert Flockhart of Edinburgh in the 18th century. Listen to this. Every evening, okay? Every evening. Okay, I'm going to put somebody on the spot. Carl, how old are you? 34, okay. So you've been alive for a while, right? This guy by the name of Robert Flockhart in Edinburgh in the 18th century, every evening, regardless of bad weather, regardless of persecutions, this man preached in the streets for 43 years every evening. How could somebody do that? How could somebody endure that? How could somebody have the, the stick with itness? <laughs> That's a word. He stuck with it. What would drive him to do that? Well, not long before his death, he said this. Compassion for the souls of men drove me. That's what drove him to do it. He had a love in his heart for his Lord and he had a compassion in his heart for the souls of men. That's what will drive anybody to do what they do. You see, I've been in these circles and I've seen guys come and go. I really have. And they think they, whether it's, they want to receive glory for themselves. And I'm not judging anybody's motives. I'm just saying people, I've seen people come and go. But very few like this man have the stick, stick with it. When things aren't going good, stick with it. When you're rejected by your family, stick with it. They're souls. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, compassion for the souls of men drove me to persuade men to come to Jesus. Right? That's that language of Paul. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And he said, the love of Christ is what constrained me. The love of Christ in Him is what constrained Him to continue to proclaim the message. Beloved, this is the main thing. This is what I desire to be the heartbeat of our church. Okay, the main thing is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and that we would love him enough. And that his love that would his love would consume us enough. That we would have love for our neighbor. 
God's not calling you to be the greatest preacher or the greatest evangelist, but to just be faithful. Let us not waste our life. And then last, quickly, right, Jamie? Last, I'm going to look at some benefits of open-air preaching. And, and then, again, some of these are going to be strictly open-air preaching, but most of them, they apply to evangelism in your personal life. Okay? Again, I'll kind of point them out. Some of them are just strictly applied to open-air preaching. But these are some benefits that could apply to you personally. It could apply to us together as a church. And they're for your encouragement. Okay? These are for your encouragement. That the Lord would use these in your life. I'm going to share a few stories in here. These are in no particular order except the last one is last for a reason. It's most obvious. So these are just some benefits that I've learned of years of open air preaching. First of all, it teaches us to trust God. Open air preaching, evangelism in general. Meaning if you are going to be intentional about opening your mouth for Jesus Christ, it will teach you to trust God. That's a good thing. Beloved, that's a very good thing when we are taught to trust God. What do I mean by trust God? Well, a few different ways, but it drives us to the Word of God, right? If you're going to open your mouth for Christ, you need to know what the book says. And there's only one way, and that's to get in it. It drives us to the Word of God. I cannot tell you how many times I've been on the streets preaching and questions are brought up, and I don't have an answer. So, but what does it do? It drives me to the Word of God so that I'll know next time, so that I can be a faithful witness for Christ. And beloved, I will say this. Don't think that you have to be an expert in every false religion. Be an expert in the Gospel. That's why we go over these things over and over and over and over to equip you. That's why we go over the attributes of God on Wednesday night. Because when we know who God is, and we know who we are, and what His Word says about His Son, and all these things, you can be in a conversation with anybody when you know what the truth is. So it drives us to the Word of God. I realize how needy I am. I tremble still when I think about, man, what if they ask me this? I'm not going to know. Well, let me tell you, there's a real easy solution to that. Just humble yourself and say, I don't know, but I'll get back with you. That's a witness for Christ right there. You know humility is one of the greatest witnesses for Christ because our world doesn't have it. It's like foreign. Whoa, this guy doesn't know everything. He doesn't think he knows. Just say, I don't know. But I'll be glad to look it up. And I, Hey, give me your email address. Usually they don't ever do it. But just humble yourself. But it drives you to the Word of God. It drives us to prayer. I realize how needy I am. Lord, I need You. If I know I'm going to witness to somebody, I need You, Lord. Oh, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Fill me with Your Spirit. Give me discernment. Help me to understand. Oh, Lord. Right? Ezekiel 37, that... You want to know what you do when you open your mouth for Jesus Christ? When a man stands up to preach? But even if you're witnessing to just a lost person, beloved, you are in that valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. Where God tells the prophet, speak the word. And, and, and that's what happens, guys. When we're, when we're preaching the gospel to sinners, what are they? The Bible says they're dead in their sins. And we need the Spirit of God to breathe upon them. To give them life. So it drives us to the Word of God. It drives us to prayer, right? 
Lord, save these people. Open their eyes. I can't do it. You must show up. You must help. You must give me unction and wisdom and all of these things. Second benefit, it builds relationships. Speaking about open-air preaching, but really just, this would be, this would, this would uh, apply to just any type of evangelism where you're maybe doing it together with other Christians. It builds relationships. You know, it's like, I've never been in the military, but like military buddies, right? You're in the trenches together. You're fighting these battles together. Maybe offensive linemen, you know, you, you fight in the trenches and, you, and, you, and you, you're on the field together. That's the way it is. You're in the trenches together for souls. You meet, I have friends around this world that I've preached with, that I have relationships with. Some of them I've actually preached with. Some of them I haven't, but we have a connection maybe through social media. I feel like I know them. Every day, pretty much every day for eight months, we would come home from the bus station. I told Trish we'd be on our way home if she was with me. I was like, oh, I just got a notification on my phone. That's Rocky. So I pulled out. It sometimes would be later that night, but every time he'd be like, Brother, I love serving Christ with you. Amen. So that would cause us to text back and forth for a few minutes. But it's that connectedness. When you're battling for the souls of men, you're battling for the King together. It creates relationships. Third, open-air preaching, another benefit of it is that when you're out there preaching, like say you have other Christians with you, I have other people with me and I'm preaching, it makes it easier for you guys because the subject is brought up. Right? That's kind of odd to go around talking to people, man, how do I start a conversation? Or when you have a preacher there, the subject's brought up. It's already brought up. So it makes getting into a conversation much easier. People will start talking about it. You get up beside them. Next thing you know, you're talking to somebody. But not only is the subject brought up, but open-air preaching specifically leads to conversations that never would have happened. How many times have we seen this over the years? Hundreds of conversations that were produced because of the open-air preaching. And I'm saying these things because people will say, it is, a, is it effective? Well, first of all, it's effective because the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. But how many conversations do we have because of the preaching? Let me share one example of that. This was, I think, 2012. So this was that period of time in Bricktown where we could not use an amp. And so I was preaching. We used to preach in front of the theater on the bridge. And I was standing on the bridge. And it was in the wintertime. And so, but over there, you know, you preach without an amp and, the, and your voice just bounces off the walls and it's no problem over there. And so, it was just Trish and I that night, I believe. Much like Spurgeon's story that he told. Cold night. There weren't many people out in Brooktown. Most Christians, I just know from experience because I've heard it over and over again, most people would have said, what is he doing? He's wasting his time. There's nobody even out. Why don't you just go up and try to talk to people? Well, there was a man who was, I was on the bridge preaching through Psalm 90. I just remember where I was preaching. Trish was standing in front of me, handing out tracts to those who passed by. And there was a man, he was walking on the canal and he heard me. And so he comes up and he starts talking to my wife for about 15 minutes. And I can just tell that the conversation is going really well. And so I finish up and, and go stand with him. And the man starts telling, starts telling a story. He said, I'm from Illinois, I'm from Chicago, and I'm down here for business. 
And I work on cell phone towers, and I have been thinking about how dangerous it is and contemplating death and what would happen to me after I die. And I heard your husband preaching. And so we got to talk to that man. And if I had to bet, I bet God saved that man. We, we pleaded with him. We, we gave him the different literature we had. We pleaded with him. We, we, we just urged him to, to repent and call upon the name of the Lord. He, and he told us, he said, I'm going back to my motel and I'm going to call out to Jesus Christ. Save me. Just one example, guys, that God gave us the privilege of seeing of how open-air preaching works. Fourthly, it's a flesh killer. This, could apply, this applies to all evangelism. Okay, if, if the Lord has put somebody in your heart that you need to speak to somebody about Jesus Christ, it's a flesh killer. What do I mean by that? <laughs> I think you know what I mean by that. Our flesh doesn't want to do it. But what has Jesus called us to do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Obviously, there's many different ways we can do that, but... Specifically, this is, this is one way I found. You want to know what a flesh killer is? Hey, when you're in public, friend, or in a friendly way, offer somebody a gospel track. Your flesh should be going, don't do it. You're going to look like an idiot. It's a flesh killer. We all want to be liked, do we not? I want to be liked. We want to be liked. We want people to like us. Probably, as far as open-air preaching goes, street evangelism, when I used to preach at the clubs on a regular basis, <laughs> late Friday night, Saturday night, and part of it was my flesh just, I mean, literally I, was, I would kind of start getting tired, but most of it was, you know, I'd be excited about it early in the evening, but eh, about 10 o'clock coming, I'm going to need to get ready to go, and I'm in my recliner, and Trish is over there beside me on the, on the couch, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm pretty comfortable right here, <laughs> and my wife likes me. We're pretty good buds. And I know I'm fixing to go downtown and I'm going to be the most unpopular person down there. But guess what? Every time I would go, many years by myself, and I'd come back, Ray Comfort would say, you go back dragging your feet and you come back clicking your heels. And every night, I, I, literally I'd come back going, how, how, how was I ever you know, indecisive about this? Praise the Lord! And then the next time is the same thing. So it's a flesh killer, guys. Open your mouth for Jesus Christ requires us to deny ourselves. We're, we're to put to death our old man daily, right? It has been put to death, but we're to put it to death daily. That's just one way to do it. That's a, that's a benefit. Fifth, open-air preaching. This would apply to all evangelism. We learn how to respond to others when reviled. You learn how to respond to others when reviled. You're going to be told things. That are not friendly. You're going to be reviled. I've had to... My best friend in the whole world is my wife. One of my best friends is Ronnie. who was here last week. I have several best friends, but he's one of my best friends. I've had to apologize to both Ronnie and Trish for not doing this faithfully. For reviling when I was reviled. They witnessed it. So with Ronnie, there was a, a man at the bus station years ago. He was a Hebrew Israelite. He came up to me, just one of them, and he was just harassing me. And I became very frustrated. And I became very condescending, very, uh, just very unkind with what I was saying, with my tone. Literally, I had to apologize to Ronnie on the way home. And he didn't be like, oh, no, bro. He goes, yeah, you were pretty rough. <laughs> but, but you know what? We should be sanctified through this. We should learn from it. I had to apologize to my wife. 
She didn't usually go down there with me to the clubs. I didn't expect her to, but she went a couple times. And she would stand there by me. And, and um, there was one night real late. It was like 3 in the morning. We were talking to that guy. And I got really impatient with him. And she, she rebuked me on the way home. And I say that, I mean, truthfully, but I needed it. And so we're all going to mess up at times. But can we have the humility to repent of those things? We all lose our patience. And so repent of those things. It, it'll teach you to, 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 to learn how to be reviled and not revile in return. Obviously, Jesus Christ is our great example. 1 Peter 2, 21-23 says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. So you and I, we're all guilty of this at times. Can I, can I plead with you when you are? Just repent. Okay, we're not to be jerks for Jesus, right? We don't want to be. I think some guys, it seems like they, they get off on being a jerk for Jesus. Man, I was persecuted. Well, what'd you do to be persecuted? Well, I told them this and I told them. Well, no wonder. If we're persecuted, we want it to be for righteousness' sake. Six, it encourages other Christians. We've seen that over the years, benefits of open air preaching, outdoor. We go out there and, and, and because what has Christ called us to do as the church of Jesus Christ? Every single one of us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. Right? Every one of us. If you're a Christian, that's the command. And so other Christians, genuine Christians, will be encouraged. We've met so many over the years. My wife would use this phrase over the years, right? Obviously, when we think of evangelism, we're planting seeds, right? We're planting, that's all we can do. We're planting seeds, we water seeds. But she came up with this phrase. I don't know if anybody told her or she just came up with it. She said, we're planting seeds and lighting fires. Meaning lighting fires in the hearts of other Christians out there. We've seen it time and time again. So many Christians over the years. I, ha I have two quick examples of, of what I mean by that. Um, it was one of the times I was preaching at OU uh, years ago before the OU game. There on campus corner, thousands of people. And you just, this is just an, these are just a few examples that God gives us that, he, that we're not privy to probably 99% of the time. What God's doing in the hearts of people, the lost and those who are already saved. So I had a, a, a girl that I went to high school with. Her name was Heather. Um, she may have been a Christian back in high school. Uh, I wasn't, but we had gotten in touch on Facebook several years ago, so she found out I was a Christian now, that I preached outdoors and these type of things. Well, she messaged me like the next day after one of these OU games. She said, I just want you to know that me and my family was standing there listening and watching, kind of keeping our distance. We didn't want to bother you, but she just was saying, I want you to know how encouraging that was to our faith. She said, and then we had a big discussion about it in our Sunday school class. And you just think about how God can use something that small by our obedience. And He does it in my life through seeing other people. We can be an encouragement to others. There was another young man by the name of Diego. I was preaching in Bricktown uh, several years ago. He used to set up in front of the Hebrew Israelites on a regular basis there for a few years. And the reason we would do that, it, it would draw a gigantic crowd and you can minister to the crowd. That's really why we did it. And so one of those nights when a big crowd formed and I'm preaching the gospel to these guys and preaching the gospel to the crowd, my wife brings this Hispanic brother over. His name was Diego. And she said, 
She said, hon, this man, this guy wants to talk to you. He wants to meet you. He wants to talk to you because he wants to do what you're doing. And so I talked with Diego for 10 or 15 minutes. He seemed pretty solid. And so I talked to him and just told him how I got started and how he could get started. And, and, and I remember this. He even looked at my amp. It was the same type of amp that I had last night. And he was kind of looking at that. And I said, yeah, this is what it is. You can order it here and so and so. And so we went, he went his own way. And then about a year later, I'd already forgotten about Diego. You know, I hadn't seen him then or heard from him. And, and so the following year, which I think was the summer of 2019, we, me and a few other guys were going to the Oklahoma Pride Parade when it was up on 39, 50,000 people, strong rainbow flag. And so we get there. I think that was the first time I'd ever been to that thing. And, and so a friend of mine, he, he called me. He got there before I did. And he said, hey, somebody's already out here preaching. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, at one of these events, that's probably some guy with a big banner, you know, saying homosexuals will burn forever and some, <laughs> some false preacher, some... Pelagian preacher preaching a false gospel, hate, you know, very hateful. That's what I had pictured in my mind, and I think those guys were out there. But no, we got out of the car, we walked down there, and there's this guy on a little stool standing up, big crowd around him, and it was Diego. It was the brother that I'd met the year before. And I walked over, and I just kind of stood at a distance about me to Jamie, and I just, because I wanted to hear what he was preaching. And it, and it was very, very solid, biblical. Uh, compassionate, but yet bold preaching. And he saw me, gave him a thumbs up, and then he, he pointed down at his amp. <laughs> he got that same amp. And so just an example of, of, of a brother being, he, being encouraged by what we were doing. And the last I heard about Diego, he was out of the country as a missionary. So just praise the Lord. It encourages other Christians. Seventh, it makes the Scriptures come alive when you're out in the streets. What do I mean by that? Well, what does the Word of God say, right? The Gospel is foolishness. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, right? But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, we can read that verse in the church house and we can all say, Amen. But if you want to see it come to life, see the Gospel preached on the streets and you will see that thing come to life. They really do think it's foolish. They think you're a clown. They think the message is moronic. And you get to see it, but what does that do? That, that encourages me that it testifies to the, to, the, to the truth of the Scriptures. Wow, this Word is alive. And so I even use that when people shake their head. And I'll say, is this foolishness to you? They'll say, yeah, it's foolish. And I'll quote that verse to them. Because I'm trying to prick their conscience. Do you see that you're reacting exactly like God said you'd react? And it says the preaching of the Gospel is foolishness to who? To those who are perishing. That literally means to those who are on their way to hell, this message is foolish. I said, sure, that, that should concern you. It reminds us, it not only makes the Scriptures come alive, but it reminds us of the depravity of man. How much the world hates this message. Again, we can read that in here and say, oh yeah, amen. But do you really believe that the world hates the message of Christ? Or do you think, oh no, I don't think they hate it that bad. I think the, I think the world is just... They're just waiting on Christians to come tell them. No, they're not. They're dead in their sin. Now, they're, obviously, God is at work in people's lives. But as a rule, the world hates the light. Listen to John 3, 19 and 20. This is the judgment. 
Jesus says that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. For their works, their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. We can read that. We can even amen that. But when you preach the gospel on the streets, you are reminded that that is true. Okay, even our beloved brother Rocky, I share this. The, I remember the first time Rocky preached, and for those of you who do not know, like most of you do, Rocky, Angela's husband, Josiah's father, he had ALS. He could not speak for the last year or two of his life. But we would hook up his phone to an amp, and he had the gospel on his phone, preached the gospel even though he couldn't talk. It's a blessing. The first time he preached, and the last time he preached. The first time he preached at the farmer's market, you guys remember? People were walking by saying, shut the bleep up. To our sweet brother Rocky who cannot even speak. They hate the light. I don't know if you guys remember the last time he preached at the bus station last May. I remember this. He was two minutes into it and that lady walked by and said, nobody wants to hear this. Shut up. Rocky can't even speak. And I see Rocky, he just, Rocky, he just had a big old grin on his face and got to the next gospel presentation. Let her fly. Why? Because it's the light, the truth. It's Christ they hate. Do you understand that? That's what the Word of God says. It's true. And so out there, you are reminded the Word of God is true. The world reacts exactly like God says they react. That's a benefit. Number eight, this, this would apply to evangelism in general, to every single one of us, beloved. When you share the Gospel with somebody, even if it's just, don't think you have to Preach a sermon to somebody. That's what I've had to get over. Man, I can't witness this person because I don't have an hour to preach the entire Gospel of John to them. Sometimes you have just a moment. Just a word, just a seed. If you got a track, give them a track. But you know, it will remind people of, at the very least, the reality of death. That's what a faithful street preacher, a faithful evangelist, will remind somebody of that God can use in their lives. The reality of death. Sir, you're going to die one day. You're going to die one day. Do you, you truly think about that? Beloved, do you, do you realize people know they're going to die, but they suppress it. They don't want to think about it. And it's our job to remind them. That's a healthy thing. It's a, it's a healthy thing for us to contemplate our death, even as Christians. Man, I've only got a limited amount of time to be faithful to Christ and to the lost. Your time is running out. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Today, now is the accepted time. Death is coming, right? One, one story that, that illustrates this. Years ago in Bricktown, I, was, I wasn't open there preaching. I was talking with a group of young people, about five or six of them. And a few of them looked engaged. There was one girl in particular. She was, really just seemed very arrogant and just kind of in the back and doing this. And so... It just shows you that appearances always aren't what they appear to be. And so I share the gospel with this group of young people. Two or three weeks later, I'm down in the same part of town, and I see that girl walking by. And I say, hey, young lady, you remember me? And she, it stopped her in her tracks. She goes, do I remember you? I was up all night thinking about what you were telling us. It reminds people, beloved People are made in the image of God. 
The law of God is written on their heart. Their conscience will agree with what you're telling them about their sin. Eternity is written on their hearts. They know there's something more. And it's our job as Christians to tap into that. And then share the good news. You can be forgiven. You can be saved. And then last benefit, guys, to close us out. It's the most obvious one. When we're talking about... Now, this, this really is talking about open-air preaching. Because I want you guys to be confident in why we do what we do. Okay? As a church, as a fellowship of churches... We didn't invent this. Okay? And so the last benefit, I'm going to let Spurgeon tell us because he's much more eloquent than I am. But this is an obvious one. Then I'm going to share a few stories as illustrations. Spurgeon says, the great benefit of open-air preaching is that we get so many newcomers to hear the Gospel who otherwise would never hear it. That's pretty simple, right? People are going to hear the Gospel out there who will never set foot in a church. And the command is not, hey, is it okay to invite people to church? Praise the Lord, invite people. But that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to share a few stories about, as a way of illustration of this very point. I thought of specific stories over the years. I could share many, many more. But these are the ones that have stuck out to me. Of this very point. Of these people. Hearing the gospel who otherwise never would have heard it. Doesn't mean they never heard it. Doesn't mean they were, I don't mean that. But in the condition that I met them, they're not going to come in here. So the first one, her name was Nancy. Nancy the prostitute. This was my second time ever at the bus station in 2015. Third time. All in that same week. It was on a Friday, and I went after work about 3 o'clock. And it was, a, it was a cold winter day. It was in January or February. And so I'm sitting there preaching on our sidewalk where, we're, where we've been. And um, so I'm preaching. And, and I mean, it's always, it's always crowded down there in a certain sense. There's always people down there. But this is one of those really cold days. So some of the people were inside. Maybe not as many people just hanging out. But there were people out. And so I'm preaching, but it was, had been relatively quiet. I'd been preaching about an hour. And then all of a sudden, this lady appears... In front of me from about me to Nikki. And she's, she's, a, she's probably in her 60s. Really rough looking. You could tell she lived a very rough life. And she's just nodding. With a very somber look on her face. Just nodding. Listening. So that continues for about 15 minutes. And so the Lord just impressed upon my heart. Just stop preaching. Talk to this lady. So I turned my amp off. And I said, lady, do you, do you have a question, ma'am? And she said, yes. And she said, is there still hope for prostitutes? That was her question. Is there still hope for prostitutes? I said, well, absolutely there's hope for prostitutes. That's why I'm here. And so she comes over, or I go over to her, we start talking. She starts sharing her story with me. She, again, I'm just guessing. She looked like she was in her 60s. And she said, I've been a prostitute my entire life on these streets. And she's weeping. And she's telling me her story for about 30 minutes. And I'm weeping. We're both weeping. And she's saying, and, she, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm just bathing her in the gospel. Okay? I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with her. I'm, I'm telling her how Christ can forgive her. Christ can save her. Christ can restore her. Okay? And I'm just, every verse I can just think of, and I'm, 
And I'm not compromising. I'm saying, Nancy, you need to repent. And, and I'm just sharing the gospel with her. And, and she's very open to it. And she's like, Brady, I, I want to I, I turn to Christ. And this, this, this question just struck me in the heart. And so this question that she asked literally drove us after that time to try to, try to just be prepared with different resources we could have, maybe where to send people. You know, because I'm there to share the gospel, but you hear of so many needs. But she, she asked me this question. She said, I want to give my life to Christ. But she said, what am I going to do for income? I've done this my whole life as a prostitute. And I didn't know what to tell her, guys. I didn't know what to tell her other than just turn to Jesus Christ. He'll provide, okay? I mean, it broke my heart that this lady... I mean, her question was a very practical question. What am I, this is all I've ever done my whole life. Do you think Nancy is going to come walking through that door on a Sunday to join us in our worship service? Never. Obviously, unless God is moving her too. We are to take the gospel to them, folks. Take the gospel to them. I often wonder what happened to Nancy. She said, are you going to start being down here? I said, yeah, at that time. I said, well, we'll be down here on Saturdays. I'm going to start coming on Saturdays. I've seen some of the same people for all these years. I've never seen her again. I just prayed that the Lord saved her. That's, that's, that, was a, that was an impression when I first began to go, I think, for the Lord to open my eyes. To just be faithful. She wasn't even at the bus station, guys. She was on the other side of the road, walking down the road, much like that guy from Illinois. She said, I heard you speaking about God. She said, I had to come over and ask you if God can save a prostitute. The next guy, uh, there was a... This was, I don't know... Two or three years ago, I think this guy's name was Ronnie because I spoke with him a little bit, but he was a, I call him the pentagram wearing devil worshiper. That's what he was. He come walking, I was down there by myself, and he come walking across right in front of me two or three times, dressed out in all black, had all the pentagrams, everything that went with it, you know, just looked like death. And he just came just every type of blasphemy he'd walk by. He did it two or three times throughout the afternoon. And then one of the times he stopped and he's just hurling reviling comment after reviling comment about Christ. And I just keep engaging him with the Gospel. And guys, I'm not saying God converted him on the spot, but I saw God soften this man. This man began to listen to the Gospel. It wasn't me. The power's not in what I say. I was telling him about Christ. I was telling him, sir, your knee's going to bow. He said, God will have to break my knees before I bow to Him. I said, He will. He'll break your knees on the day of judgment. The man began to soften to where it ended on that day. And that afternoon, he came over and shook my hand and thanked me for sharing the Gospel with him. I just prayed that God saved that man. I don't think I've ever seen that man since. Do you think that man's going to come and join us in our worship service? No, we must go literally hunt them down. The Son of Man came into the world what? Seeking to save the lost. And that's how He does it. Through preachers. Through Christians. You give somebody a tract and who knows what God will do with that thing. We, see, we have drug pushers down there. Some of you guys know these guys now. Dominique and Tony. Dominique is like the head drug pusher down there. And we're friends now. We're buddies now. He used to give me a hard time. Now we set up. Dominique, he'll, 
Man, he'll meet me at the trunk of my car, Brady. Man, I want to help you set up. What can I do? I said, you can repent. He's heard the Gospel a thousand times. Dominique, you can repent. But he really warms my heart. He really does. He's a, he, he seems to be a soft-hearted guy, soft-hearted drug dealer. He's very kind to us. He came to me, I don't know, about a year ago, and his sister, he had his sister down there. He said, hey, why don't you come meet my newborn nephew? Come, come perform like a... Come do your like holy, holy something over him. <laughs> but, but Dominique, you know, and that, I think that's just a testimony to, to all of us. We're kind to these guys. They, they realize that, you know what? Because Dominique, he didn't used to like me being down there. But now if a man is harassing me, you guys have seen it, Dominique will get in the middle of it. He'll say, you leave this man alone and let him preach. Tony, I think he's one of Dominique's buddies. Some of you guys have met Tony. Um, he's another drug dealer. I know he was. But he used to, uh, he used to come and get my Bible. Real soft-spoken. He'd be like, Pastor, I'm just going to hand some of these out to the homeless over in the tent, tent part of the homeless community. So I said, all right, take a few. Until one day some lady told me, why are you giving those Bibles to him? He's rolling his joints. He's selling them. All these things. So I jumped on Tony next time I saw him. He didn't like that. So we became kind of like enemies. And then when, when all the BLM stuff broke out a few years ago, then he really, for some reason, had something against me. He, he just started shouting at me one day. And so there was some tension between us for, for, for a few months. And then one day I just went up and put my arm around him. I said, Tony, you and I good? I said, you know, I love you. He goes, yeah, we're good. <laughs> so after that, he warmed up again. And then a couple years ago, Ronnie and I were down there. We preached for three hours, two of us. We preached 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 minutes, 45 minutes. Each one of us, two times. And he sat there the entire time. They used to have benches right there, guys. Benches right there. They had a bench and they, they would sit right there. He, him and a few other guys, they sat for three hours. People would walk by and Tony would holler at them, get out of the way! You're interrupting the service! Do you think Tony's going to come in here on a Sunday and just shove? I don't think so. But we take the Gospel to them. My last time I preached that day, I was preaching out of Ephesians 2, right? We're dead in our sins, but God is merciful. And so, I preached that. I was fixing to preach. Tony had been there already over two hours. And he said, Brady, do you have a... a piece of paper and a pencil, I can take notes. This is one of the head drug dealers. And he did. He sat there and took notes. And we're not preaching the feel-good gospel. We're preaching the gospel. That Tony, you're going to perish if you don't repent. And I remember one of his buddies when I was getting into my car, we were already done fixing leaving. And the guy, he's in a wheelchair over there, still over there saying, but God, but God. Don't think the Word of God doesn't have an impact on people. Now, do I think Tony is converted? No. I don't. But I have seen God soften that man. And we just continue to go. Continue to plow. Amen? There is a man, just a couple more guys, to illustrate this. I want you to be encouraged by these things, guys. You're not always going to see results. We are to be faithful to the call. We are to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God will save His people. So about a year ago, a friend of ours from the church we went to before we planted this church, um, Leslie, she called me when I was working, left a voicemail on my phone. 
And um, she said, I just want to share this story with you. You don't need to call me back. She said, me and Bill, her husband, we were at St. Anthony's Hospital for a visit of some kind. And she said, I got in a conversation with a, with a homeless guy, a black guy. And he said, he, he goes by the name of Pops. His name was Warren Brown. And she's telling me this. I listened to the voicemail. And she said, Warren said, oh yeah, I know that, I know that preacher at that bus station you're talking about. I've seen him down there. She's telling Leslie, because Leslie's telling her about, yeah, that, that's a friend of ours. She said, yeah, I've seen that guy down there. And so Pop starts telling Leslie this story, guys. And I hope you understand my heart in sharing this. I'm not sharing this because I'm trying to receive glory. I'm sharing it to encourage you all and to encourage myself. And so Leslie is sharing this story. And she said this guy was saying, you tell that preacher. that And, 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 and Pop, he's a Christian man. And, he, and he's, I don't know if he's a member, but he, he's, he's affiliated with Frontline Church downtown. And they do a lot. They do a lot with the homeless. And he said, "I know that man you're, that you're talking about preaching at that bus station." He said, "I know of at least 35 people who their lives have been changed through his preaching." He said, "I know these people." And Leslie shared that with me, guys. I was in my truck getting fuel, and I just broke down weeping. I was like, "Because you don't hear things like that. You, we go and we preach." Matter of fact, just that week before, a day or two before, I was reading. Jonathan Goforth, that missionary that went to China, and how these converts, God had saved these people through his open air preaching. I started weeping. Some of it was because of the story I was reading. Some of it I was telling my wife. I was like, Am I beating my head against the wall? Going down there week after week after week after week. And there was some discouragement there. And the next day I got that call. And it was like the Lord saying, Here you go, son. You just keep preaching the gospel. I have my people out there that I'm going to save. You just keep preaching. My son saves sinners. So we just keep going. We keep going. We don't worry about the results. I don't think God lets us see the results because our heads would swell up. It's not about us. It's about Christ. And this is my last one, guys. There was a, this was our first six months being at the bus station. And there was a guy by the name of Joshua. He was a bus driver. And he was from India. A little short guy like this. And I was preaching. It was me and Trish was down there. There may have been some other people with us from uh, our former church, Grace Place. But I know my wife was there. So I was preaching. And you know how the bus drivers, they get off the bus, they take a smoke break or whatever. And so I see this little short guy from India talking to my wife just in front of me. And I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to want to argue. He's probably a Hindu. So I was getting ready for the arguments. I had to repent of that thought, you know, because I was making a judgment that wasn't true. And so Trish brings him over to me. He said, Brady, you've got to meet this guy. And so Joshua starts talking. He's already in tears. He starts telling me his story, telling Trish, telling us, weeping. He said, I was born in India. I grew up in India. He said, before I was ever born, my parents were Hindus, like most of the folks over there. My parents were Hindus, but my dad was on the streets. There where I lived in India and heard a street preacher preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preaching about a God who's relational. Right? Who's relational. Who hears prayers and all these type of things. And he had to go up and he talked to that man. And through that man, Joshua's dad came to Christ. And through Joshua's dad coming to Christ, his mother later came to Christ. And so Joshua with tears flowing down his face, Brother! He's begging me, brother, don't stop. 
Don't stop preaching. You keep preaching. He said, I was born in a Christian home in India because of a street preacher. You keep preaching. That's probably the most encouraged I've ever been. Preaching the gospel on the streets, beloved. Don't quit, guys. This doesn't just apply to street preaching. God has saved you. God has left you here. God has placed you where He has placed you. You don't know what goes through a person's mind and heart by just sharing the truth. You don't know where they're at. If you know that they don't know Christ, then they need the Gospel. But you don't even know where they're at in their thinking when they lay their head down on their pillow at night and they contemplate life and death. You don't know what God can do with your obedience. Beloved, this is the main thing. That Christ Jesus has come into this world to do what? To save sinners. He has saved us. We're no better than anybody else. And we have been given this charge. We have been given this command to take the Gospel to the highways, to the byways, to the streets, to anybody who will have ears to hear. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank You for sending Your Son, Lord. Father, I thank You for every testimony in here, Lord, to, to the, the person who knows Christ, Lord. We all have a testimony. That once we were lost, once we were blind, once we were dead, but now we can see. Now we have life. Now the Gospel is not foolishness to us, but it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the most beautiful news. God, may You equip us. May You give us the love and compassion in our own hearts to not keep this message to ourselves, Lord, but to take it to the world. Lord, as, as preachers, to unchain it from the pulpit and take it to the world. Father, help us as a church, Lord, no matter how big, no matter how small we are, Father, regardless of what else we do, and there are many other things that we do that are important, to never lose sight of this, God. That Your Son came into this world to save, to deliver, to rescue sinners like us. That a hundred years from now, we're going to be in Your presence, every single one of us. Much less than that. A hundred years from now, nobody will be here They'll either be in heaven or hell. And Lord, let us contemplate that, God. That all this bickering that we do as Christians with one another is just distractions from the enemy. God, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, we love You. We thank You. In Christ's name, Amen.